This is X speaking. No X. X. X as in X and Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a podcast where you'll hear about blockchain, cryptocurrency, and future tech in relatively plain English. We'll help you stay across the crypto world so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching the FOMO Show on your platform of choice. So this episode, we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff. The first thing we're going to be talking about is a bit of news, including user data breaches and PayPal patents. And this is really another reason why you want to be on top of your privacy and security. Uh, we'll be talking about Android Go, the cut-down version of Android coming out from uh, Google. We'll also be discussing a great privacy tool called Standard Notes. And we've got an interview with BlockCat, which is an exciting drag-and-drop contra- smart contract interface. Yeah, essentially, that's what they're aiming to be. It's a drag-and-drop smart contract solution for people that don't really want to dig in and do all the technical stuff themselves. So, Sounds it'd be perfect. really interesting to hear what they've got to say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. what, were we in, what have we been up to this week? Yeah, so we've been to a few meetups in the last couple of weeks. It seems like they're uh, they're really beginning to uh, ramp up again this year. There was a little bit of a lull, but um, one of the ones we went to was the EOS meetup. And we actually met up with Luke, who's one of our uh, podcast listeners. He's um, He was actually our first real user on our Slack channel. <laughs> yeah, so great to meet you, Luke. Yeah. It was really good to you, see man. him. And the pl- the, it was run by a, a company called Eosphere. Now, their deal is they want to be a block producer yeah. for EOS. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you don't know, EOS is going to have 21 uh, block producers, which are essentially elected by the community and mm. they can be voted out by the community as well. Mm. And their goal is to be one of those 21 block producers, which kind of forms a community around them. So, if you're in Australia it's, and, and you're interested in EOS, it'd be really worth checking them out. Uh, mm. We'll put the link up in the show notes for them. But yeah, yeah it was, I mean, mate, what was your impression of that meetup? Well, it didn't really say anything new, mm. but I was still so excited just seeing the growing community of people who are like keen on EOS. Mm. But also, just just going through some of the basics again was actually a real reminder on how how much potential this platform has. Now, obviously, not investment advice. We'll get into that, but. Yeah, really interesting stuff, some really interesting stats on it. And um, yeah, it's just great to see people who are actually into EOS. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's that's been the general theme across all the meetups we've found. Um, another one we went to was the uh, Travel by Bit and yeah. NEM meetup at River City Labs in Brisbane. And we've, we've talked about Travel by Bit before, but if you're new to the podcast, uh, really worth checking out. I've actually um, used Travel by Bit a couple of times myself in the last couple mm. of weeks. And one of them, Joe used Travel by Bit the night of the meetup. We went out for yeah. beers afterwards. But, mate, what, what actually happened at this meetup? So, it was pretty cool. We had uh, a representative of, I think it was some kind of finance. Fintech Australia, Fintech I think Australia. it was. Yeah, that was enough to send you to sleep. But, look, yeah, the information she gave was, was quite useful. Um and then travel by bit. Yeah, uh, did, the did founder, um, founder of that was it, Caleb. Yeah, Caleb. He gave a really good talk on travel by bit. What they're doing. So they're basically making a a point of sale system. It's like an iPad app, basically, mm. for shop owners, merchants to be able to accept um, cryptocurrency and the merchant can either receive that as cryptocurrency or they can receive that as um, Australian dollars. So 
for the merchants, it's really easy. They don't need to understand the tech. It's all just sorted for them, tax and everything. It's just really cool. They put in an announcement that they were being integrated into the Brisbane airport. Mm-hmm. So they, they've got a lot of their point of sale software in there now. Mm. It was the first kind of crypto airport. And mm. news went all around the world. And they said all of a sudden they had all these Australian businesses calling them being like, we want to get in on this. Yeah. Can you come and you know help us out? And so they said they've got over 100 merchants now signing up with them and it, it they just they can't keep up with the demand yeah, there's so the, many places the founder of this company looks frazzled he looks <laughs> he, he looks like <laughs> he, he needs some more assistance yeah um definitely mm. um really cool dude though really good talk awesome team too yeah, yeah we, we, got the, yeah, we re- had the privilege of chatting to a few of them after the yeah, event and yeah, yeah. really cool team definitely get around those guys mm, if you can mm. if you're here in australia start using it i we we bought beers afterwards using mm. travel by bit i've um I went and got a haircut at a barber specifically because they were taking trouble by bit. Yeah. And I paid with Dash and it was dead set instant. Like, so fast. Oh, so so fast. Yeah. But but this is what we we can now start moving from hodling, you know, mm. which we, we've talked about before, to actually using this stuff. And there's a saying that if you don't if you don't use it, you lose it. And I think that is kind of true with, with crypto. Like but the, the main attractiveness of crypto in the purest sense, is that it's just a way better ma- method to transact with people. Mm, mm, so we need to start transacting, and we need to support these businesses that are taking a risk. I mean, they're still taking a risk yeah. putting this stuff on, but if they see that people are coming to their stores because they take it, you know, they're going to be telling all their friends who probably also own stores mm, to take it as well. Mm. So. Didn't you really go to a, an Ethereum engineering group meetup? Yeah, I did. So there's an Ethereum engineering meetup in Brisbane every second Wednesday. And that's run by Consensus in conjunction with ThoughtWorks. Right. Two really cool companies, by the way. I mean, Consensus, a lot of people probably know of. And ThoughtWorks are a, a big tech consulting company wow. uh, here in Brisbane. It, it's great because essentially their, their motivation behind it is to start teaching developers... Mm-hmm. how to develop on Ethereum because wow. there's there's too many jobs and not enough developers. And mm. for anyone that's in the blockchain space, they know that getting developers is really hard because there just isn't enough. So their goal is to go from not knowing much at all to having a developer that's pretty competent in Ethereum by the end of the year. So wow. if you're a developer or you're interested definitely, and you're in Brisbane, definitely worth checking out. I think Consensus may be doing similar meetups uh, in many places around the world, mm. well, that's at least what I'm being told, that they're really trying to make a push to skill up a lot more Ethereum uh, developers. So, yeah, if that's something you're interested in, I'd find the nearest Ethereum one. Otherwise, we'll put the link up in the show notes. All the VODs do actually go up, so the videos from each meetup go up, and right. you, can just, you can just look yourself. You don't right. have to go. And that, so that was really good. And so, yeah, because if, if the takeaway I get from it is if you're a developer or if you know someone who's a developer... There is so much demand mm. and not enough supply, so mm. you, you're looking at some generous generous opportunities out there, yep. so worth jumping onto. Yeah, yeah, and look, just in general with meetups, we've talked about it before, I think we even featured meetup in the last episode or the episode before, but it is so worth going along to this stuff. The people you meet, uh, the things you hear about, you know, you can read all this stuff on your computer mm. or on your phone in your own home, but mm. once you actually get out there and talk to people about it mm. and you begin to get a, 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 an idea of what's going on in the world around you essentially mm. it really helps to bring it all home just how much traction is behind this stuff now and wow you know if you if you want to work in blockchain 
the meetups are the best places to go because that's where you'll make the connections. And everyone's still pretty accessible too. I mean, we uh, like we see a lot of the personalities that are quite unquote big names in like the Brisbane blockchain community and they're just sitting at a table next to you. So, yeah, mate, that's what's been going on. Mm. Is this investment advice? No, it's not investment advice. Look, new cryptocurrencies seem to be popping up every single day and it's hard to know which are legitimate and which aren't. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. We, we really want to make that clear. And, and full disclosure, we are both personally invested in different cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk about on this show. But if we talk about a project, it doesn't mean you should buy it. Mm-hmm. And we're definitely not offering any financial or legal advice. Mm. If we talk about something, it's essentially just us giving our own opinion. But we're not experts in this stuff, mm-hmm. nor are we holding ourselves out to be giving any kind of advice. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, moral of the story, do your research. Never invest more than you can afford to lose. And most of all, avoid the fear of missing out. If you're new around here and new to crypto in general, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues on until episode eight. It'll give you some grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about. It's kind of hard for us. We can't go over the basics every single episode. So, there might be some things that you hear about that you don't quite understand or you just want to dig deeper into these concepts, but you don't want to read it all yourself. If you go back in our in our podcast feed and go back to episode two, and you can actually look in the show notes and there'll be timestamps in there, each episode, which will say blockchain basics and then the topic. Yeah. And you can just go to that time and listen through to that part. But yeah, uh, check out blockchain basics if you're new. Yes. Cool, mate. So what's happening in the news this week? Well, actually, funnily enough, we were talking about this. We predicted this back in episode 12. Um, if you jump to one hour, 12 minutes through episode 12... Um, you can hear our answer on. Um, we were asked on what we reckon things would ha- uh, would happen with regulation and mm. things like that. Government influence on crypto. Funnily enough, Coinbase have given thirteen thousand users details to the IRS, the American Tax Service. Um, it was because of a court ruling last year, and they basically said that um, Coinbase had to turn over um, any like identification information for all users who'd ha- who'd completed more than $20,000 worth of transaction through their accounts in a single year. Pretty big stuff. Um, mm. Taxpayer IDs, names, dates of birth, addresses, transaction records. That's pretty big. Yeah, mate. It's, it, it's worrying. It's worth noting that Coinbase didn't want to do this. They fought this and eventually the IRS kind of caved and said, well, look, just give us the, the people that have spent the most money right. on this stuff. Anyone can be called upon for this stuff. And there's no obligation for you to provide a lot of these companies with your confidential private data, wherever you can. So, mm. it's a really good kind of reminder that it's in your best benefit to be as private and secure with your data as you possibly can be. Mm. What was this next bit about Walmart patenting some kind of blockchain shipping idea. Yeah, so Walmart have been really trying to innovate in their supply chain. And I think, like most companies, once they find out about this blockchain stuff and it really starts to click, of course, their natural reaction is to go and patent everything they possibly can because that's Mm. what they've done for the last 50 years. Mm. And it forces their competition out, essentially, because you can get the the state Mm. to enforce patents against people that... You know, I mean, even if they've thought of the idea before you have, if you've got the patent, well, you know, then Mm. all of a sudden the the state kind of becomes your enforcement tool. Mm. So, it sounds to me like Walmart's found out that this blockchain stuff can really help with supply chain Mm. 
and they're rushing out to paint it all mm. as quick as they can. But it is really, there's a lot of potential in this technology they're looking at doing. According to um, the uh, patent application, it was released by the USPTO, Walmart describes a smart package that would include a device that would record information on a blockchain uh, regarding the contents of the package, its environmental conditions, its location, and more. It also suggests that its smart package could be used in tandem with other emerging tech, such as autonomous vehicles and drones. Mm. Yeah, and this is where we begin to see the the blockchain, the smart contracts, the potential of it really start to come into the public consciousness mm. because it's so true. If you give a if you give a package some kind of identifier which can communicate with other devices, mm. and it's unique and on a blockchain. It doesn't matter where in the world you send that. As long as there's some kind of blockchain connectivity, it will mean that you can track that package. You can be sure that that package has come from where it says it's come from Mm -hmm. and you can follow it all the way through the supply chain and you can have other things start to interact with it. So, that's where they're talking about autonomous vehicles or drones. Mm -hmm. You know, if if the package arrives in its location, instead of having someone manually enter that that package has arrived in its location it can just send a message to the the decentralized application on the blockchain, mm. let it know that it's there, mm. and that will communicate with an autonomous vehicle or a drone to come and pick it up. I mean, you can see it working with Walmart. You can see Amazon. I mean, it makes mm. so much sense for Amazon to do something like that with their distribution system. It'd be fascinating to speak to, you know, one of the people behind one of these massive organizations. Mm. Obviously, Walmart's billions and billions. Mm. So, same with Tesco Group, same with a lot of those Carrefour in France. Like... But it's food for thought, and it's cool because we're finally seeing like a mainstream adoption begin, mm-hmm. and mainstream mm-hmm. use cases come out. Because a lot of people are like, "Well, what does the bo-? like?" I hear a lot of talk, and you'll see news articles on this all the time. You know, nothing's being accomplished with smart contracts and blockchain. It's all. And then you got IBM, Musk, Walmart. Yeah, like mate. they're all plugging into it. Yeah, the tech's just—it's the the tech is just beginning to reach the stage mm-hmm. where it can be used for this stuff. So, of course, you're not going to see much that's being used currently. But give it a couple of years, mate, and the people that haven't begun now are going to be playing catch-up. Mate, PayPal. They applied for this patent to supposedly speed up crypto payments. What do you know about this? (laughs) Well... (laughs) The, the, the first thing I saw on this was the Dollar Vigilante article. Oh, that was brutal. That was an <laughs> Which absolute Which took a really takedown. dim view on this. On this. Um, they essentially said that PayPal was trying to patent crypto. And it made a good headline, but it's not actually what's yeah. going on. I guess it was because, like, what PayPal's original vision was to actually end up, you know, before it was bought out by eBay, its mm. vision was to become this sort of own ecosystem where it could almost be its own currency all the money could just stay within paypal yeah but obviously then it got bought by ebay so it just stuck with cash but yeah the patent um that's basically coming up with a method of exchanging private keys between users to speed up crypto payments so what is that pretty much that's that's instant it doesn't require any transactions of money so basically it's like having a secondary wallet it's interesting to see them doing it Mm. Um, I think it's really interesting too watching how companies are trying to monetize this stuff as well mm. because I, in conversations I've had with, with business people, the question invariably gets asked, well, how do I monetize this? You know, how do I make it? How do I, how do I make money from this? How can mm. we package this up mm. and make money from it? And 
I think you're going to see a lot more of this, a lot more of the companies from the traditional space moving in and trying to carve out a bit of a niche to monetize stuff. Mm. I mean, you see, see it with Fujitsu as well, and they've just come out and said they have got a an audit program for smart contracts that's oh. automatic. So, Kodak, Fujitsu, yeah. all, all jumping in on it. <laughs> and it was so, so... I actually almost didn't read it because I was like, Fujitsu? Like, they're the air conditioning company. Yeah. Like, how would they have any any way, like, any skin in this game, you know? But it's from the sounds of it, they've obviously got some kind of development team behind the scenes and they're working on something and they've just come out and said, we've got this program that can automatically audit for the five biggest security flaws that smart contracts have. So, you can r- essentially just run your smart contract through it. I assume they're going to charge a fee. And no, I mean, knowing Fujitsu, I don't think it'd be free or open source. I feel like, you know, if it's a company, they're going to want some money mm. from it. But it's just interesting seeing these these old companies pop up That's with, great, with new it? ways of doing stuff. Yeah. Mm. Wait till Kraft Heinz get on the blockchain game. You heard it here first. <laughs> There's a really cool bit of news this week. Marshall Island's lawmakers have approved the launch of Sovereign, a cryptocurrency which will be accepted as legal tender. Yeah, so the country which the United Nations estimated in 2016 to have a population of 53,000 people is going to have an ICO later this year. Yeah, so Nima, an Israeli startup, is developing the tech to support Sovereign, or SOV as it's abbreviated to, and will oversee both the pre-sale and the coin offerings. The NEMA website is actually a fascinating money slash payment service. It's very much worth checking out the site. So, just we'll put the link in the show notes. It's getnema.com. And you can start to see what they're doing with the payments in the Marshall Islands and, and what they may end up being like. Yeah. So, it's really interesting. Yeah, worth checking them out. Basically, it's, it's a company that's big in Israel at the moment. And they're using sort of like some sort of cryptocurrency-ish service. It's like... Very close to regular money. Mm. And it's designed, I think, for, you know, people from the Philippines and um, and countries nearby who are who are uh, Indonesia who are living in Israel mm. and wanting to send money back home. Mm. So, basically, you can just go into your local shop that is a NEMA outlet, cash in some money there. You get that in your app and then you can send that abroad for a really low fee. Wow. It's a really interesting, like, almost entirely mobile payment stuff. Mm-hmm. Really worth checking out because that's basically what the Marshall Islands could end up like, their yep. new currency. And it's really interesting to see a very small sort of small country, but yep. fascinating idea. Yeah, mate. After using this travel by bit stuff, I'm so much more convinced that this is the way of the future, you know, because all you need is a is something that can scan a QR code. Mm. That's it. You know, that's honestly all you need. And it takes a second or less than a second to approve a transaction on the blockchain if it's the right blockchain and then you're good to go mm. you know and it, and and if if you can target these places especially in these places where there's a lot of immigrants a lot of um uh transitory residents mm. it makes so much more sense to have a currency that allows them to not have to worry about exchange fees all the time and, mm. and, and banks tacking on money. and Because this is one of the big reasons why we, we do have this, man, is because at the end of the day, you get reamed. If you're, if you're just a regular Joe mm. and, <laughs> you know, and you're traveling somewhere else, you get reamed on these transaction fees mm. and exchange fees from the banks. You know, it's one of the mm. big ways they make money is from people traveling and, and charging that premium to exchange. And it's one of the big attractive things about crypto is that they're worldwide. 
Mm. They're internet native, which none of our fiat currencies are. Mm. Mm. It's going to be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, so that's um, Marshall Islands. Cool. Next piece is Sierra Leone uh, secretly uh, held the first blockchain-powered presidential vote. So it's coming out of Coindesk. It was basically as, as voters in the, they were saying as voters in the nation's most populous western district lined up to cast votes in what had been a heated campaign between 16 candidates. Unbeknownst to them, blockchain voting startup Agora was helping keep track of it all. And through its proprietary distributed ledger, providing unprecedented insight into the process. This is awesome. This mm. is really, really mm. cool. I've read a mm. few articles on this, and this is just so cool because we've everyone's talked about blockchain voting for so long, but this happened without anyone knowing. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, they just had access to a whole bunch of new, anyone could jump on, see a whole bunch of new stats. Wow! The whole system just worked. There were ways to validate that everything was working as it should work, mm. and to the people, in the, just the regular people, it would have just appeared like. Someone had just built some great new software, mm. but it was the blockchain doing it. Yeah. So, interest- interestingly, so Agora, this company basically sort of joined as almost international observers at the election, mm. basically took the ballots and sort of verified them or scanned them somehow, which sort of stuck them on the blockchain. But it's really interesting. This is the sort of handover from regular um, from regular elections to sort of blockchain powered. So, it's not fully blockchain mm. yet, but it's sort of... They're both sort of happening at the same time. Yeah. So eventually, they can we can let go of the old and just crack on with the new. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. So, Again, it's just great seeing something practical happen mm, with it. Yeah. Mm. It's really cool. So worth checking out the Agora voting website. Really interesting. Um, yeah, you can follow that through the article. Android Go. Talk to me about Android Go, mate. This is so exciting. Now on the FOMO show, if you've heard more than one episode you'll know that we absolutely love the developing world because mm. ultimately, obviously not investment advice, but the things, the countries that we invest in now that are going to be huge in the future. I mean, the last year I've made so much off Nigeria in my just regular index fund investing. We, the developing economy is really where all the growth is going to be at during our lifetime. Mm. And so many different countries out there. Google have got a solution to this. So they've, um, coming out of Android Central, um, this this piece is saying that, you know, Google have a team called the Next Billion Users Team. And that's really important because they're looking at all these countries where, you know, to uh, if you're listening to this show, chances are you're probably in a wealthy country where you can actually afford with your paycheck to get a really nice phone. Mm. Now, so that means most people in Australia, the US, England, um, France, if you're listening, hello, bonjour. Um, but you can afford really cool phones. Now, when you go to, well, you take yourself to Uganda and look at the same phone and look at how long that would take to afford it, it would take way too long. It would yep. take years. So what Google is saying is, look, we've got to be able to run android on really lightweight phones so they're making a cut down version of the android operating system with all the same sort of things but just designed to run on phones with less than one gig of ram and so yeah google have put google assistant go they've got um youtube go which is launched in 200 countries it's got security out of the box to automatically scan all the stuff on your phone and Mm. um and try and keep things safe but Really, really fascinating. Yeah, it is, mate. And it just it shows you that Google at the top are 
they know where things are going, yeah. you know, and they're really focused on it. And it's awesome to see because, I mean, we've, we talked about phones last week, didn't we? That nearly everyone in Africa already has a phone, mm. you know, and same thing in, in, in India and other places like that. The problem is the phones are just nowhere near advanced. And the reason why people are talking about bootstrapping crypto onto text messages is because that's like the extent of what a lot of them are able to access at the moment mm-hmm. on their phones. But with Android Go coming about, it opens up the whole ecosystem to mm-hmm. them, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if they can strip these apps down mm-hmm. and make them run on something a lot more lightweight, mm-hmm. it will mean that they'll be able to get a similar experience to us mm. at a fraction of the cost. And they, so that they'll be looking at using less data because mm. data is very expensive abroad. Mm. Um, and it's absolutely fascinating. You so say you've had like the first wave of Android Go phones have, have come out at the Mobile World, World Congress. Nokia have been building them. A bunch of companies, Nokia's one, on sale for like 85 US dollars. Wow. It's got like a five megapixel front camera, two megapixel back camera. Wow. Like these are the things that you, we don't really need more than that. Yeah. So they're building phones which are actually going to be good. Yep. That don't cost much. They're actually going to be really affordable. Now, $85 is still a lot for people. Like that's mm. months worth of pay for many people. Mm. But really, really interesting to see. If you'd like to be part of the show, why not send us a voice recording? If it's under a minute long and in an MP3 or a WAV file, we'll try our best to fit you in the show. Whether you're sharing news, a few facts about an industry, an interesting tidbit or an observation, or even just plain good advice in this crazy space, Mm. send us a recording. Uh, We'll try and fit you in. We love interacting with our guests. So, you can email it to us at fomoshow at protonmail.com or you can jump on our Slack and uh, send it to us personally. Yeah. So, yeah, shout out. Big thank you to everyone for joining us. I mean, a big thank you to you for joining us because it's absolute, absolute pleasure having you here. Um, shout out to our friends from uh, the Travel Wide Bit Meetup. So, mm. we, uh, good to see you. Rich, uh, Richie Rich, BTC, to see you. Um, oh, yeah, good to see you, Secure Chain. Brian. Oh, it's yeah, great Brian, to meet Brian. Brian, if you're, if you're listening, mate, really good to meet you. Let's have you on the show sometime. Yeah, yeah, Mate, privacy and security. There's this really cool tool that you've been using. You would, I think you mentioned it at the other show, just in passing. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so it's called Standard Notes, and I've always been a really big Notes app user. So right. I started with Evernote yeah. way back in the day, and for probably five or so years, I used Evernote. Wow. Um, and I really only stopped using it only a couple of months ago when I found, it, found out about this. So it was probably longer than five years. I've probably been using Evernote for... Geez, yeah, like seven or eight, I guess. Wow. Uh, but I always knew when I was using Evernote that I was using something that wasn't really secure. Yeah. If you read up about Evernote, all Evernote staff or most Evernote staff can literally log into their database and see all your data in plain text. Yikes. There's not much encryption that's going on there. Yikes. So anything you put in there, doesn't matter what it is, it's not only can it be read by Evernote, but there's an argument that it's also Evernote's property. So, if you put in like a a cool idea, you know, they could make the argument that, well, you put it in our platform and, you know, it's our property or they could even just pull it straight off. I mean, I'm not saying they do this, but that's the kind of thing that's going on. Yeah. And also, if they get hacked, because all your notes are stored in plain text, hackers could literally just download the database and, mm. and read through all your notes. So, anyone that's storing passwords in there or... And please don't store passwords in, in your notes app, but... um. Anything that's stored in there, they're going to be able to see. 
All that to say, I was listening to a podcast which we've recommended call, before called the Complete Privacy and Security Podcast, and they had a guy on from Standard Notes, and right. I thought I'd check it out. I was like, oh, look, I, I've never found anything that's anywhere near what Evernote can do, but mm. I'll give it a go. And the main pull for Standard Notes is that it's encrypted. So, it's encrypted note storage, and you can store on their servers if you want mm. with the paid account, but even on their servers, it will be completely encrypted with your private and public keys. And there'll be no way for any staff there to read your notes. So, it encrypts it on your computer and then sends it to their server? Yeah, it's also encrypted on their server. So, right. So, right, you're, right. the actual container that's stored on their server is also encrypted. Right. So, it's encrypted at both ends, wow. which is which is really nice. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you can you start with the free version. And I, I downloaded it for my phone, logged in, mm. and I was just really taken aback at how easy it was to use and how smooth it was. Right. And so, then I, I put it on my desktop as well, started using it on that. I started paying for the paid version because you get extra editors and I've been finding it really, really good. So, it's, it's really easy to use. It's still not feature complete, but the big deal for me is that it does a lot of what Evernote does, but all your notes are private. Right. Which you just don't get with Evernote. It's open source, so there, there was one guy initially working on it, but um, there's now I think he's now got a team with him. But there's also a lot of open source development going on for it. Um, they have two-factor authentication, which we love, so they've just implemented that. And you can also back up your notes to an encrypted folder on your cloud storage of choice. So, wow. if you've got like a OneDrive account or a Google Drive account, you can have it automatically back up to that as well once wow. a day and it will still be encrypted. So, basically, it just keeps all your notes private while not sacrificing much of the functionality of Evernote or OneDrive or anything like that. And, mate, I've even been um, drafting like website articles on it because I've got right. a HD... Uh, uh, a uh, HTML editor, they do Markdown as well, and it, it just seems to work really, really well. Wow. And there's a bunch of cool extensions for it as well, mm. nested folders for your notes. Wow. So, if you like keeping your stuff organized, oh, there's some cool-looking themes for it as well. That looks great. Yeah, and there's a lot of development going on. It seems like every other week something new's added, and... Look, at the end of the day, like what we mentioned with the Coinbase thing earlier, you just you can't put a price on your privacy, mm. and you can't. It it gives you it gives me so much more peace of mind storing my notes now somewhere that's secure, mm. and somewhere that I know I'm not going to have to worry about getting breached, at least anywhere to the extent that Evernote or mm. OneNote or anything like that mm. might get breached. Mm. Wow! So definitely worth checking out standard notes. So, that was our privacy and security and tool of the week section all sort of wrapped into one really <laughs> cool tool worth checking out, standardnotes.org. Yeah, so we've got an interview hooked up with uh, Blockcat. So, um, yeah, Matt had a chance to speak to them this week. Um, here's, what, here's what they discussed. Hi, everyone. Matt Shearing here from the FOMO Show. I'm here with Eric Huang, CEO at Blockcat, a platform designed to make Ethereum smart contracts accessible and usable for the general population. They ran an ICO in July and August 2017 and raised approximately $7 million. Since then, they've been hard at work building the infrastructure for their platform. Eric, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Brilliant, mate. Great to have you. Um, we've been following the project for a while. We've featured it a couple of times on the podcast in passing, but it's, it's really good to actually have you on and, and be able to dig a little bit deeper and hear about everything that's been going on. So, look, first of all, just tell us a bit about how you personally got into the blockchain world. 
Yeah, so my background is in computer science. That's what I did my university degree in. And in particular, I had a specialization in databases. So that was a really nice kind of synergy there with blockchain technology because blockchains are kind of just big, really big databases themselves. Um, this was about a couple years ago now that I kind of got into the, the more technological side of blockchain. And I was really intrigued at some of the different capabilities that were out there. And it was in particular when Ethereum came out and they essentially released a platform that could do really cool computational stuff through smart contracts that really got me interested. And ever since then, I've just been really dug into it. Awesome. And did you know that you wanted to start your own project at that time or were you working on other things? Um, it's a great question. I would say I'm very much a person who doesn't like to work on something that I'm not really interested in. <laughs> so it was always kind of in the back of my mind that I really wanted to use this tech, but I hadn't come up with that huge idea yet. It wasn't until BlockCant came about kind of December 2016 or so that I really felt like, you know, I, I found it. I mm. found what I'm passionate about and what I really believe would work. Okay, so talk to us a bit about then how Botcat did come about. So what what led you to to beginning this this whole project? Yeah, it's a bit of a funny story actually. <laughs> um, it started with a group of four of us, close friends, um, some that I've worked with in the past, and we we kind of play video games and get takeout together every Friday night or so. Mm. And we always ran into this problem of, you know, one week one guy's like, oh, yeah, I got it this week, and then the next week somebody else does. And then we end up with all this complicated, like, well, I owe you $10, but he owes me $15. Mm. And we were trying to f find a way to make that easier, essentially, us being all pretty nerdy computer <laughs> science people. And eventually we kind of threw around the idea of, hey, what happens if we try and throw cryptocurrencies at this? Mm -hmm. Simply because, you know, cryptocurrency made it really easy for us to kind of digitally transact and that sort of thing, which led us to kind of the birth of the idea of BlockCat. It started from that small kind of group payments within friends idea, and then it grew to what it is today, which we feel like is all about kind of applying smart contract technology to common everyday problems that people have. Mm. Okay, and, and and when you looked at this, it, was it pretty clear to you that, that no one was really filling this, this niche already? There wasn't much out there that was actually doing it? Yeah, definitely. We kind of took a look at the space at the time, and we saw almost nobody kind of actively using smart contracts for their really intended application, I suppose. Mm. It, we At the time, we saw like the really only real smart contract use at the time was in running token sales and deploying their own token. And we just didn't feel like that was kind of the, the end game of yeah. smart contracts right there. There was so much more that there was to be explored. Um, one notable application of smart contracts that existed back then was the Ethereum name service, ENS. Mm. Just kind of like um, mapping human readable names to Ethereum addresses. That one is run by the Ethereum foundations themselves. 
And I would say it's a stellar example of what smart contracts are capable of these days. Right. Okay. So there was there was essentially just a, a non-user friendly ecosystem back then, and your motivation was to to begin to bring functionality to that ecosystem that let everyday people kind of harness the power of the blockchain. How did you go about that? How did you begin mapping all this all this out and working out exactly how you were going to do it? Yeah. That's something I ask myself every day still, actually, (laughs) Um, because I would say that the kind of original Blockhat vision compared to what it is today are pretty pretty different things. Um, To me, the most valuable thing has always been kind of community engagement and really trying to be present and aware of what the everyday problems of crypto users today are and kind of an extension of that are what are the problems that non-crypto users have that we can apply smart contracts to. To that end, I would say Blockcat kind of started as this really sky-high vision of, you know, exploring possibilities like over-revolutionizing voting systems using smart contracts, um, changing real, the real estate industry, changing the legal industry. And while those are all very possible applications of smart contracts, there's a lot of inertia in kind of the non-crypto world in getting them to adopt that. Because, mm. of course, you, you can't exactly approach the government and be like, I, you know, I got, I got this great idea for your voting system. You want to <laughs> use it? Yeah. Unfortunately, the world just doesn't move that fast. Yep. I would say really today, Blockcat's focus is on what problems can we solve today that people can get immediate use out of. And I would say the product that we just launched, Tabby Pay, mm. is a very good example of something that hits that niche. Brilliant. So let's, let's jump right into Tabby Pay then. I, um, I've had a, actually a chance to check it out myself and I was really impressed. We, uh, we sent a tweet out last Thank night. You. Oh, mate, it works great. I sent a transaction to one of my Ethereum addresses from another and then it came through on the page and it works great. But... Look, just tell us a bit about Tabby Pay. You've, you've launched this fully functional smart contract, and it was it was shredded in secrecy for a fair while, but now it's out. Absolutely. So Tabby Pay solves a really fundamental problem of cryptocurrency, which is that anxiety you feel when you send a big transaction. Tabby Pay makes it so that you never send Ether to the wrong address ever again which sounds absolutely crazy in this space because up until now, whenever you made a transaction, whether that's Ethereum or Bitcoin or any token, you make that transaction, you fill out how much you want to send, you send, fill out where you want it to go, and then you hit go and it either makes it there or it doesn't. Mm. And if it doesn't, you've lost it forever, gone. There's nobody that can reverse the transaction there's nobody that can refund you or anything like that and tabby pay was something that was kind of in the backs of our minds for a very long time but the key we felt to tabby pay was making it absolutely dead easy you know no complications no crazy complicated processes that people have to go through Mm. so the core model of how Tabby Pay works is in the idea of a cancelable payment. So we take that typical kind of one-step transaction process 
and we turn it into a two-step payment process. And how that looks is that you make the initial payment just like you make any other Ethereum transaction. You fill out how much you want to send and who it's going to, and you send it out. The trick there is that once you send it out, it sits inside of our smart contract, kind of like an escrow, until the recipient address comes along, verifies their identity, and then claims it, at which point the Ether is sent from the smart contract to the recipient. What this means is that if that address that you sent it to doesn't have control of their own wallet, then it can never be claimed. And at any point while it's still sitting in the smart contract as a pending transaction, the original sender can opt to cancel it and withdraw the Ether back to them. So this means if you fumble the address and you type it wrong or you copy and paste it wrong, then that five-minute period afterwards where you're like, oh, crap, I sent it wrong, all you have to do is hit cancel, and it's right back in your wallet. No harm done. Great. And, and, and this is big because I recently read that there was approximately, I think, 12,000 lost Ether due to people sending to the wrong address. And people have tried to build programs to map all this this out, but it's been a really big problem. And, I mean, we talk all the time about adoption and people, enterprises taking smart contracts seriously, but something that's always struck me is, well, how can they really take it seriously if, if you can have one different keystroke and lose what could be $10, but what could also be $500,000 or a million dollars in a transaction, you know, just lock it up. It doesn't yeah. make much sense. And it's always kind of surprised me that no one's done it, but this is the first time I've seen something that can actually really fill that niche. So, so what you're essentially saying is that if, as long as people use this smart contract, if the ether goes somewhere that it's not meant to go, they can pull that back. They can, they can bring that back from the brink because there's essentially a kind of like a, an intermediary there in the middle in the form of some autonomous code that will check this and say whether it's okay or not. And only if it's okay and it's accepted on the other end will the money go further than that. Yeah, you got it exactly right. In, in a sense, it almost acts like a bank does in, in kind of the non-crypto world where if you fumble a, a transaction from your bank, all you have to do is call them up and ask them to deal with it. But the beauty of this is that since it's smart contract code that's acting based on how it's written, there's no third party that can just one day decide, oh, I'm just going to take your ether and run to the Palmas with it. Mm. So I know this will be a question of someone that's, that's listening. What if someone typed one letter wrong in the address and it theoretically goes to someone's address where it's like an actual address. You know, it's not it's not just something that's that's out there. It's not a real address, but it's someone else's Ethereum address. What happens in that instance? That's an excellent question. Um, the number of possible Ethereum addresses out there is is an astronomical number. In fact, the the chance that you you fumble a letter and that it ends up to somebody who's actively using that wallet is about as likely as winning the lottery something like 30 times in a row. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's so not much of a chance then. <laughs> yeah. In essence, that's kind of how we, we prevent against that. There's also kind of a social aspect to that as well. Yep. Say this is you sending Ether to your buddy. 
and you you make the tabby pay payment and then you message him and you're like hey i sent you the tabby pay payment and then five minutes later your friend replies back and he's like i don't see anything and then you go check it and you're like oh i sent it wrong cancel Mm. And so, so essentially, there, there's kind of that aspect to it as well, mm. that inherently in the model, your, your recipients will help you make sure that you don't send it to the wrong place. Mm, great. Okay. So, we've got this initial, initial model here, but is there plans to integrate this smart contract more outside of just the Tabby Pay web interface itself? Definitely. I would say that is probably our number one priority right now. Great. Right now, Tabby Pay is out there. It's functional. It's out on the main Ethereum network, and people can use it. In fact, we're running a promotional period at first um, where we charge no fees for the service. But we recognize that you know not everybody uses a, a Web3-enabled wallet where they can actually directly interface with our website. Mm. So... Definitely the next phase of Tabby Pay is to try and bring it into the most used wallet services out there. Of course, those off the top of my head, I can think of my crypto, my Ether wallet, all of those big, well-known wallets, perhaps even some of the mobile wallets like Jax. Um, that's really we want to hit mm. the places where people are keeping their crypto and making a lot of transactions. That's where we want to be. As kind of an extension to that, we'd also really like to see the possibility of integrating with kind of the exchanges as well, because every exchange has kind of like a deposit and a withdrawal system to mm. it. But they suffer from the same problem, that if you fumble that outgoing address, you know, it's gone to the wrong place and nobody can help you. And people are putting in support tickets and, yes, and trying to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Where's my money going? <laughs> so yeah, I see that as kind of like the place that Tabby Pay should be. It's all just a question of gaining that traction, gaining the legitimacy, and reaching those big players. Okay, and do you eventually see a a, a world where Tabby Pay is an essential part of these autonomous smart contracts as well? Is that like I said, it'd be essentially a smart contract within a smart contract, but. I know for a lot of these big transactional smart contracts that are being talked about, uh, you know, selling houses and and putting land on blockchain and all that all that kind of thing, it would make a lot of sense too to have this kind of automatic checking in there as well to make sure no one's co- coded the an address wrong in the actual smart contract itself. Yeah, that's a very interesting idea. I think that the general principles behind Tabby Pay really do apply to that kind of idea, kind of like the two-step transaction instead of just the one step, I hope it went to the right place kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely something we're interested in. I'm sure as the space evolves and matures and all those big high-value applications of smart contracts get out there, I believe that if we position ourselves properly as strong players in the space, as the ones who pioneered kind of this philosophy behind tabby pay that we will have very interesting integrations to find there okay so if 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 someone wants to use tabby pay to begin integrating this now into their ethereum payments how do they go about that so right now tabby pay supports any wallet that is compatible with web3 web3 is the kind of intermediary between the real world and the blockchain world okay 
Um, off the top of my head, the Web3 compatible wallets that are commonly used out there are MetaMask, Parity, and Mist. So if you have those, all you have to do is load the Tabby Pay page, which is pay.tabby.io in any three enabled browser. So that could be like the Chrome extension for Parity or the Chrome extension for MetaMask or through the Mist browser directly. Um, and you'll be able to use it. It's very simple. Mm. All, you, all you have to do is fill in a few boxes and hit go. Yeah, I found it really good using MetaMask. That's that's what I use for mine it, it, because it, it, Tabby Pay shows you what's going on, which is great. Like it's it's right there on the page. It says it's transaction sending, and then in the little MetaMask drop down, you can actually click a button and see exactly where then that transaction is is at on EtherScan. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 quite intuitive. The MetaMask guys, I think, have done a really good job in in building something that's. That just works, you know. It's quite simple, and it just works. And I was really surprised at how well Tabby Pay integrated with that. So, like straight out of the box, the UX experience, which I think crypto in general has quite a big UX problem, um, yeah. and <laughs> and people just want things to work, you know. And 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 that was what was really refreshing about using the Tabby Pay site is there wasn't a lot of information. It was just to from um, the amount of gas you want to use, and you just hit send. And everything just kind of happened, which was very nice. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. What you said about kind of the user experience side of crypto is very rough around the edges. And in a sense, I feel like that's what we have that's most valuable to contribute Mm. from Blockcat and kind of the tabby platform as a whole is about smoothing over those tricky user experience problems and I think that's actually really the key to bringing crypto to the mainstream, to the current non-crypto users, is to make that process so smooth yeah. that they almost don't even know that there's a blockchain running behind it. Yeah. That's really the end goal here. Right. So, so let's let's expand that out a bit more then, and let's talk about we've got Tabby Pay right now, but let's talk about the larger Blockcat ecosystem and, and and where things are heading because I assume this is just the first of many. Uh, smart contracts and and utilities that Blockcat is working on. Just talk to us a bit about where things go from here. Yeah, you got that exactly right. I described this as just the tip of the iceberg. Tab and Pay is just going to be one of the many services that we put out there. So in the very near-term future, um, our focus is going to be on releasing a lot of kind of easy smart contract deployments. We like to call them smart contract templates, the kind of service where you just have to fill in a couple boxes and you hit deploy and you have your very own smart contract live on the blockchain. Mm. The common problems that we're going to try and aim to solve are like the really immediate uses of smart contracts that are out there today. So that's going to be things like create your own token, deploy your own token sale, run your own airdrop, and that kind of thing. And also a couple of the smaller applications as well. Things like simple payment splitting or a simple joint payment between several users, that sort of thing. Cool. And, and so that will all be within the, uh, the Blockcat platform? Uh, we're calling it the Tabby platform okay. to right. kind of separate a <laughs> distinction. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was a small branding change we decided to make. So we're kind of branding it as Blockcat is the company and 
Tabby is the platform that all of our blockchain services live on. Okay, and, and how does the BlockCat token fit into fit into the Tabby platform? Yeah, that's a really good question. We kind of approach this from per case basis. There's a lot of nice properties that the token lets us do. Mm. For example, the token means that we never have to hold, um, say, any crypto asset in in trust of the user. Kind of like you think about how an exchange works, where you deposit your ether or your Bitcoin to them, mm. and you're you're physically sending it to them, and they're holding it for you, and you're trusting them that they don't run off with it. Mm. Um, what the token lets us do is something very interesting, which is that the token can remain within the user's wallet wherever they want to store it, whether that's MetaMask or a paper wallet sitting in a box somewhere. Um, and through the special authorization and allowance features that we've written into the CAT token, we can kind of pull authorized amounts of CAT out when the user approves it in order to facilitate these payments. So that means there's never any point where we hold more tokens on behalf of the user that we're supposed to. Right. So, of course, how does that apply to our platform? We try and make the token as useful and to have as much utility as possible in every case. So in TabbyPay, when we looked at it, we could not justify kind of adding that extra layer on top of it. Mm. Because, of course, the inevitable question is, well, if I'm just wanting to move Ether from A to B, why should I involve another token in it? Which is why, for TabbyPay, we've opted to structure it in kind of a fee model instead. So the more cat you hold in your wallet, the less fees you pay when you use TabbyPay. And I think it's a really nice compromise there strikes a really nice balance so that you feel like you gain value out of holding the token but mm. there's no complication in the process with the smart contract templates that we're going to release in the near future cat will serve as a direct transactional medium for it instead so you'll pay us um based on the kind of market rate however many cat tokens are required in order to fulfill the deployment of the contract. Okay. And and so with that, it's, let's say, uh, because at the moment there's a, a quite a small, probably a small user base of people that have CAT tokens right now, but I'm imagining that once Tabby takes off and once people start really uh, getting wind of what's going on with BlockCat and what they can actually do with this, there's going to be a lot more people trying to get onto the platform and get a hold of CAT tokens. Is there plans to make a, an easy manner through which people can, can get those CAT tokens to move onto the platform? Because at the moment, a lot of the time, you have to jump on exchanges and, and purchase the tokens from exchanges or purchase them from you know, certain places. But is there, is, is there plans for a method right there within the Tabby platform to exchange you know, Ethereum for, for CAT tokens? And- Right. It's funny you asked that actually because we just had that conversation just this morning oh, right. about okay. that. Yeah. So I can say it's something we're considering. Um, like like we touched on just now, the kind of user experience in going on these exchanges and making that transaction to buy tokens is is a bit of a convoluted process in in the best mm. case. Um, I would say that Coinbase is kind of the kind of like the best in terms of the 
flow through user experience yeah. in that sense. Um, so I totally hear you that it's might not be the most optimal strategy for that. And we're definitely open to kind of throwing around ideas on how we can help with that. Mm. So yeah, it's in the works, I would say. Brilliant, brilliant. And, and there is technology coming for a, a more decentralized form of exchange in that regard too, isn't there? Are you guys paying attention to any of that, or? Yeah, I I follow those pretty closely. Um, you know, Ether Delta was kind of really the first evolution yeah. of that, and then we had IDEX, and and now Binance announced that they're going to run their own blockchain in order to, you know, build build a great decentralized exchange. And I think it's definitely the way forward. Mm. You know, we we talked about that problem that exchanges act as that centralized third party that holds your crypto directly. And if they run off with it, you know, you, you got no recourse to that. And moving that model into a decentralized model where that kind of agency they have over your own assets is limited, I think is really the only way forward. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I, I definitely agree on that. How have you found working with Ethereum the, the last couple of years? Because I, I know it's a, it, there's so much functionality and potential that Ethereum brings, but there's also uh, a few quibbles like gas fees. I, I think I noticed last night that I ran up against that age-old problem of gas again, you know, just, just trying <laughs> to work out exactly how much I needed to submit. How's that yeah. been on your end, developing for this platform? Yeah, it's. Uh, I would say it's something we struggle with on a daily basis. Um, I, I like to compare it to the really early days of like the internet, the, the DOS era, where you know the technology was so young and immature, nobody really had kind of a good grasp on, okay, what's the best practices here? What's the best way to do these things? And in a lot of the ways, we're running into the same problems here. You know, mm. There's a lot of common problems in building blockchain technology that there's just not a good solution for yet. You know, even Ethereum itself, while a stellar example of well-written code, mm. it still is lacking kind of the real serious infrastructure that, say, typical web developers have today. Yeah. And we actually try to take a very pragmatic approach to it, I would think, because whenever we encounter these problems, we don't really try and kind of like sock away a solution behind the scenes in order to solve it. We really ask those hard questions of, okay, we have this problem. Do other people have this problem? And is it valuable for us to put out kind of open source community solutions to these things? And I, I personally released one myself uh, several months ago. Um, it solved a problem in writing smart contract code, Solidity, in that whenever you go to validate and verify your smart contract deployments on, say, Etherscan or anything like that, they expected your smart contract to come in in a very specific format. And back then, everybody always just did this by hand. It was a very tedious copy and paste process to kind of assemble it in the way that they wanted it to look before you could submit it to them. Mm. And I, I took one look at that, and I'm like, well, I, I just spent half an hour copy and pasting code. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wrote a thing called the Solidity Flattener, which kind of uses a, it's called a dependency resolution algorithm to 
assemble that code into what EtherScan is expecting. And so now it's it's literally super simple. You specify which contract you want to deploy, and it just goes out, finds everything, compiles it for you, and it's ready to go. So what used to take me half an hour to do now takes me 10 seconds to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's just one example of the kind of thing we've put out there. That The Solidity Flattener I put out open source. It's on a GitHub. Anybody can go use it, tweak it however they want. Um, up next, we there are a lot of problems in kind of coordinating transactions, making sure that they're reliable, making sure that you know if they fail, that there's a mechanism to easily retry it in a way that prevents you from sending the same transaction twice, because that would be very disastrous. That's kind of the next big problem that we we're dealing with, I would say, right. um, and we have a kind of rudimentary solution to that, but. We're always looking for more ways to solve these problems. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And that's that's something that's really surprised me as someone coming kind of from the outside a year or two ago and then looking in is just how open a lot of this develop this development is and the community around this stuff is. There is there's so much open source innovation and things people just put out there for free. You know, it's it's incredible. Yeah. It's, I feel like that's that is the way that if if we can bootstrap this thing up to something like the web stack as we know it now, it's going to be through a lot of that. So it's it's really really cool to see, mate. So we've talked about the immediate future, but but obviously you guys are in this for the long haul. Where do you see the project going in in the next one, two, three, five years as this ecosystem develops? So after our smart contract templates are out there and you know they're stable the next major milestone that we have laid out in our roadmap is going to be building the marketplace for these smart contracts mm. so at that point we're going to have a great platform with you know like a nice smooth ui and kind of an established user experience and how people use smart contracts and i believe that the best way to augment that is then to allow other third-party developers to leverage our platform, our UI, and kind of the overall practices that we've established, and allow them to submit their contracts to our platform, almost like the App Store for smart contracts. Mm. And, and that's that's something that's that's a, a real need, isn't there? Because uh, I, I know even here in Brisbane, Consensus are doing a lot of work trying to skill developers up to bring them onto the platform, but uh, but. Uh, a lot of the issue is is that the, the, the tools just aren't really there yet or there's so much to get across that it's not easy for someone to make the jump. Um, so that's kind of where Blockcat are looking at focusing on is, it, is, is making the, the step into development easier for, for all these developers that are probably going to start looking at decentralized applications and saying, well, that's, that's where we need to be. Right, yeah. yeah. It's definitely a real problem these days because of how much kind of duplication there is in that whole process mm. because when people think of smart contracts they they focus on the smart contract aspect of it but i actually think that's just like the little kernel as as a part of a greater whole mm. because the real value in that smart contract is in how you interact with it how it presents you the information that it holds and currently in the current space Everybody has to rebuild that from scratch. Mm. You know, when Ether Delta built their decentralized exchange, they had to build the entire interface for it from scratch. 
when IDEX went to go build their decentralized exchange, they had to redo the entire process. Mm. So my thoughts there are, why not standardize the whole process? You know, figure out what's the best UI for those use cases, and then allow other developers to plug into it. You know, use different pieces of it with their smart contracts mm. so that they can really plug into a good user experience right out of the gate. And with that, that whole UX issue, are there some real key elements you've identified to go from being predominantly a, a, tech, uh, a tech community and a lot of tech demos to something that people can use every day? Right. That's, that's a great question. I think a lot of those problems really come from the gatekeepers, essentially. I say gatekeepers in the, in the technology. Mm-hmm. So that's really looking at what is the first thing that users encounter when they enter any blockchain product and how good is that experience. So the the first example off the top of my head is MetaMask. Mm. Most of these um, kind of, I guess, blockchain apps on websites and stuff, Tabby Pay included, the, the first gatekeeper in that process is MetaMask because mm. that's just simply the, the easiest way for people to use it now. But is it necessarily the most optimal solution? I, th- I think there's room for improvement there. I think MetaMask in the past couple of months has have made some tremendous strides mm. in improving that experience, but I think there's so much more that can be done there. Yeah, and look, just looking at the wider, um, the wider ecosystem and the wider just world in general, are there some areas that you've really honed in on as ripe for blockchain adoption? It's an interesting question. I would say the one that I'm most excited for that is also kind of really close on the horizon is in bringing more accountability to existing processes mm. and. Being a Canadian citizen, the one that stood out to me the most is that our one branch of our government recently announced that they're adopting an initiative to use Ethereum as a way to create a transparent, auditable log of all of the grants that they're yeah. dispersing. Yeah, and this came just like straight out of the left field. <laughs> I was really floored and really excited that that they were putting this out there. Yeah, um, I think it was only announced about a month ago or so. So I'm I'm definitely keeping a really close eye on that. Mm. But those kinds of processes, I think, are where kind of institutional adoption of blockchain technology is really going to show its worth. Yeah, because it's a really painless transition for them where they just take everything that they are doing but then they write it in a way into the blockchain that makes it you know tamper proof auditable that anybody can go back and look and say yep 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 that was done properly Mm -hmm. and there was no fishy business going on there once we have that piece in then the next bigger pieces come can can come in you know things like overhauling our voting systems To, to a better model, you mm. know, getting getting rid of the paper ballot and things like that. Mm. So it's some really exciting times, that's for sure. It's incredibly exciting. And and, and I, I, I can only assume that Blockcat, uh, you guys are looking at 
positioning yourselves to offer some solutions in to, to those areas or to at least begin that conversation with with those different entities as well yeah totally i would be ecstatic if a government agency like that approached us and said hey we want to you know lev- leverage your experience leverage your skills leverage the team that we have that is you know that'd be phenomenal yeah yeah no it definitely would and and i think look from from how it seems it, it seems like it takes a while for them to get there but once they get there and they've resolved that in their minds they're normally looking for the people that are out there doing doing the most good so yeah i, I definitely hope they look for you guys um mate just a, a, a question i like to ask everyone is where do you see this this blockchain ecosystem in five years time if, if you if you could just get your crystal ball out and gaze into it for a little bit and and think about where things will be because like you said we're kind of now at the dos at the dos stage but and i, I like to say sometimes that we're still waiting for blockchain's netscape moment you know the moment where we hit that that real critical mass where people see something and they go wow like that's incredible and they get it and then from from then on things begin to start moving and i think we're going to hit that sometime in the next five years Uh, where do you see think things going this ecosystem being in in five years time yeah i definitely agree that we're probably going to hit that moment within the next five years um, even just in the past year, we've made some phenomenal strides as, as a community mm. in, you know, building out better infrastructure, building out more innovative applications of blockchain tech. Um, if I had to make some predictions, I would say that I fully expect Ethereum to remain a really strong player in this space. Mm. I think they have a absolutely amazing team behind them with a really driven vision and they've already shown that they could make tremendous improvements onto their existing infrastructure in ways that bitcoin has never demonstrated before and i actually think that ethereum in five years will look very different than it does today Mm -hmm. and i think those changes are going to be key to hitting that nest netscape moment of wider adoption and you know better usability Mm, okay. And if you had any advice to anyone who's got an idea, uh, whether they be developers or entrepreneurs or whatever, but they, they see a need and they think they could fill it, what would your advice be? Coming from someone who's, who's walked this journey, who's now in a, who's been through the crowdfunding um, and who's now in a stage where you're really beginning to see the fruit of all that hard work you've put in, is there any advice you could give to those people? Yeah, I would say the the key things are remembering why you started what you did and not not getting distracted, not, you know, getting sucked up in the moment, but to always ask yourself, why am I doing this? What's the bigger picture? Why did I start all of this? Hmm. And an extension of that is just to surround yourself with people who ask the same question, who really align with what you're trying to do. Mm. And I think that's really the key. Mm, that's very wise words, Eric. Um, is there anything else you'd like to cover? Um, no, I think that's all I had for today. Brilliant. Okay, well, where can people find out more about Blockcat and, and, and begin testing out this tabby system? 
Yeah, so the the page for Tabby Pay is tabby.io, T-A-B-B-Y.io. And our main Blockhat website is still blockhat.io. We're active on Twitter, Discord, Telegram. Uh, me personally, I'm always on Discord, and you can tweet at me anytime, which is at Eric Bcat. Um, we're always really happy to hear any feedback you guys have on what we're building, you know, how it works, what it does. That community feedback is absolutely critical for us to build a bread in building a better product. So whatever thoughts you have, feel free to drop them our way. Brilliant. Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to, to be on the show. It was really, really enjoyable. I've, I've definitely learned a lot and it was, it was just great to hear about your experience as well in, in coming from the very beginning of this project into now really making some big strides. Um, we'll put all the links in the show notes for everyone listening and all the very best and hope to, hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This has been great. Yeah, mate, really interesting project. Um, it, was a, it was really enjoyable doing that interview and it's really great to hear all the cool stuff that's coming out of that project and it seems like things are actually really happening with them. Mm-hmm. So, it's definitely something to keep your eyes on. We'll put all the material in the show notes and uh, yeah, it'd be really cool to see where they end up. So, we do, we've got a call from our raving, roving, raving... South African Both. reporter. <laughs> he's called Jordan Cronier, and um, he's kind of a big deal. Um, he was uh, responsible for Zimbabwe's cryptocurrency, uh, Zimbabwe coin, uh, Venezuela's cryptocurrency. He was actually the figurehead behind that, well, behind the scenes until the idea was stolen. Mm. He was behind uh, a lot of the Saudi Arabian push for crypto and even the Turkish one more recently. Now, He's sort of the figure who's behind the scenes in this now more than anything. He mm. comes up with the ideas and he just sort of stays out of the lime, limelight. Um, and we last week, last episode, we cut off his uh, cut off his salary because he hadn't been doing any work for us. He um, hasn't been putting in articles for weeks. Yeah. And then he and then he rings us up asking for money. Mm. And he knows that all he's got to do is is write for us, mm. but he's too busy going out there trying to make his own money. I'm sorry, mate. I'm just a <sighs> That's fair I was enough. Jordan's easy, biggest supporter. It's you know? easy to get. It's easy to get sort of you know a bit miffed about about you know characters like this. But mm. um, yeah, let's give him a call. Jordan, are you there? Do you know what? I've I've got to say it, I'm not very impressed here, Matt. Uh, I've not received any money from you boys for quite a few weeks now. It's getting out of control and. Uh, personally, I'm actually a little bit, a little bit pissed off, huh? Well, Jordan, we were we were quite clear with you that you needed to write articles for us again, or at least give us some kind of reporting before you we gave you any more money. Look, look, that aside, I got your message about Vladivostok. I just landed here, and I'm on my way to the meeting place now. It, I mean, it was a bit strange, you know. There was this boot that I had to get in the boot and travel that way and get blindfolded. It's a bit weird, but what do you guys got me up for, huh? Jordan, did you say you're in the back of a car? Oh, yes, please. I'm doing what your message said, huh? Jordan, we didn't send you any message. Quiet back there. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I didn't mean to, huh? 
What is that? Is, are you on the phone? No, 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 I'm not on the phone. No, I'm just, um, just... Give me that. Oh, got to go. Mate, um... I'm actually quite worried about Jordan. Uh, normally, at least, he's free. Well, actually, no, that's a lie. He has been in jail before. But this is quite worrying, mate, because they've sent... Someone has sent him a message posing as us, offering money for him to travel to Vladivostok, which is... Like, we're Googling it right now. It's between North Korea and China. Mate, I'm I'm quite concerned. I don't even know who we call over there. All I can say is he's somebody else's problem. <laughs> if you know someone who might enjoy this podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends. Also, if you're an iTunes user, please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. It, it, we really appreciate it. It does help us uh, get our podcast out, out wider. And if you haven't done yet... Subscribe in your podcast app of choice to the FOMO show. That means that every time we release a new episode, it'll get delivered straight to your phone. Mm-hmm. So you can find us at FOMO.show, um, our growing website with uh, all our episodes are on there and maybe uh, many of the tools that we've recommended. Mm. Um, yeah. You can jump on our Slack at FOMO.show slash Slack. And that's like our messaging system essentially and it, it, it's just a place where we put up our thoughts and our uh, some cool links and have some discussions on, on what's going on every week mm, so so you'd be very welcome there if you join that's right you can find us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the FOMO show and YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube and steam it at steamit.com slash at FOMO show Awesome, awesome. Well, that's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, absolute pleasure having you here. If you like our show, do feel good about yourself. <laughs> I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Let's not include that. <laughs> it's going in. Okay. It's going in. I'm editing. <laughs> not That's so fast. <laughs> Mate. Yes. Episode 14. How Episode are you feeling? Four- <laughs> oh, man, I thought I was ready for this. But I was I thinking the other day, actually. I was thinking yeah. the other day. We should have started on episode 100. Why is we that? should have just Episode 1 should have been episode 101, right? Yeah. So this would have been 115. We would, there'd just be so and much more And then people would be like, wow, these guys have been around a long time. They, and They've been, been here for a long time, <laughs> man. Part of the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. I was listening to JLS the other day, you know. Yeah. Like, JLS, like, full-on hate them when I was younger. I listened to a JLS tune, like, four times in a week. Which one was it? I'm not going to say. Not on the <laughs> no, record. Just... I can't. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Aaron. A. A. Ron. <laughs> a. A. Ron. Good old A. A. Ron. Thank you, A. A. Ron. <laughs> that was such a good. What was it? Kian Peel? No. And it's like Jaquelid. Jaquelid. Jaquelid.
Oh, Joe. I'm, I hope you're having fun, mate, as you're editing this. I hope you're having fun. <laughs> That's the last we ever heard of Jordan Cronier. <laughs> we will not be having Jordan Cronier calls on this show anymore. Oh, we should go to we should go to Jordan's funeral. Oh. And, then, and then he's faked his death. Oh. So he makes contact with us. He's like, you thought he's I like, was dead, he's are like, you? Fellas, be one. very quiet. I'm right behind you. Like, Jordan? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's me. I faked my death. Jordan, we were quite upset. I don't know. What's with the fake mustache, bro? <laughs> <laughs> All fun and no games. Mm. Don't call me Jack. Don't call you Jack. No. As your name is Joe. Yes, indeed. Privacy podcast. <laughs> Rule one, never tell him your real name. My name's Fred. The blockchain time machine. Like, we're not worried about getting nuked tomorrow oh, anymore. Right. Oh, yeah, I better stop. The, hang on. Let me stop the recording.